January 22nd, 1973 will be a day that lives in infamy. It's the day the Supreme Court legalized abortion on demand in all 50 states in our country. And since that date, 60 million babies have been aborted. 60 million. 60 million babies have been aborted since 1973. So in light of this, I ask you this morning, what does the church do? Does the church have any responsibility whatsoever to push back against such darkness, against such brokenness, that in a culture of death, what is the response of the church to establish and build a culture of life? Well, it's in the midst of such darkness and such brokenness that Jesus delivers a message to his people. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 that Jesus delivers the Sermon on the Mount. And it's the passage, the portion of the sermon that we will read together this morning that Jesus calls his people to do something in the midst of this culture, in the midst of such brokenness, in the midst of no hope and darkness. He calls his people to a very sacred calling. Matthew chapter 5 verses 13 through 16 will be the verses that we read together this morning. And it's immediately following what is known as the Beatitudes. And it's important that we understand the pattern of Jesus. Jesus has just gotten done telling his people about the blessing and favor of God in the Beatitudes in the first part of Matthew chapter 5. And then he tells them in light of this favor, in light of this blessing, this is now how you are to live. This is what you're called to do. That is always the pattern of God. Blessing and then command. Favor and then a call to action. And he's calling his people here in the passage that we are about to read. How are you to live in light of the blessing and the favor of God? So if you would turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, where Jesus tells us of the power of the gospel and the power of the people who are transformed by it. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled on under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural address, was standing before a war-wearied people. And he said this, If God strips the nation of every dollar... Every ounce of wealth that we have accumulated on the backs of slave labor, then it would be just and worthy outcome. If God were to strip this nation of every dollar, every amount of wealth that has been accumulated on the backs of slave labor, then it would be a worthy and just outcome. 
Think about killing 60 million babies. What does a nation deserve in light of such evil? What does a nation deserve in light of that reality? What are God's people to do in the face and in light of such darkness? You see, we have one that we celebrate this morning, and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we celebrate and we know, we sing it in the hymn at Christmas time, that Jesus has come to do what? To make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And so all, although we see the curse of sin and death and darkness every single day, although we see the curse of abortion and what it has done to this nation every single day, we have the confidence that we have a Savior and His name is Jesus Christ. And He employs His people, you and me, to go to fight back, to push back against sin and death and darkness. When Jesus went, went missing and they, the, his people scrambled and they said, Jesus, where were you? Jesus says, I was about my father's business. Well, guess what? As Christians, we get to be about our father's business. God has employed you as followers of Christ to be in the Father's business, to take the blessings of Jesus and to spread it far and wide, to make his blessings known, far as the curse is found. So the simple question I want to answer this morning is how does a church establish a culture of life in the midst of darkness and death? Jesus gives us three things in particular here in Matthew chapter 5. The calling to be the church. The first thing that we see in verse 13 is Jesus calls the church, the people of God, to be salt, to be the salt of the earth in verse 13. He says to be the salt of the earth. What does that mean in particular? Today we use salt to flavor our food, to flavor our meal. But 2,000 years ago, salt was used to preserve they didn't have the resources that we have today to take items that are perishable and to preserve them like we do today. So what they had to do 2,000 years ago is they had to penetrate and soak and cover those perishable foods and those perishable items with salt to keep them from decaying, to keep them from rotting. And that is exactly what Jesus has called us to do as the church. He says, see the world and to see the culture that is rotting and decaying. Do you see death and do you see it decaying? I want you to be the salt. I want you to be the means of preservation. Where there is death, I want you to bring life. I want you to bring life out of death. And this has always been the pattern of God. From the very beginning of Genesis, God has brought out of nothing something. He's brought out of life. And in your redemption, what has Jesus done? Out of death, he's brought life. It's the story of the resurrection. It's the story of redemption. And that's exactly what God, through the person of Jesus Christ, calls the church. So with issues facing us, like the issue of abortion, in the midst of death, in the face of death, we are to be champions of life. We are to be the very salt of the earth that brings life to where there is death, to, bring, to establish a culture of life in the midst of a culture of death. This is the very promise of Jesus, isn't it? Later on in the Gospel of Matthew says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. 
These are the gates, the gates of hell that try to keep in the darkness, that try to keep in the brokenness, that try to keep in death. These are the very gates of hell that for so many years in this country didn't afford the same rights to a black woman or to a black man in our nation are the very gates of hell that say there is no intrinsic value in a child, particularly a child in the womb of a mother. These are the gates of hell that we are called to to push up against, to be a roadblock, to be an obstacle. Where there is death, the people of God will bring life, fight for life, be champions of life. There was a woman in Birmingham, Alabama, who stood before her church to give a testimony, and she said, 35 years ago, I had an abortion, a decision that would alter my life forever. And no one stood in between me and the clinic. No one stood in between me and the decision that I was about to make. And oh, how I wish someone would have taken my hand and loved on me and put their arm around me and rescued me in that moment. Church, be the salt, an obstacle, a roadblock that says, not on my watch, I will push up against the gates of hell and they will not prevail. We are the church. We are called to be salt. But not only does Jesus here call us to be the salt of the earth, bringing life to where there is death, but he also calls us to be light. In the first part of verse 14 and then following in 15 and 16, he says, you're the light of the world. Nor do people take light and put it under the basket. But what do they do? They put it up on a stand. And in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they might see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who's in heaven. Be the light of the world. Who is the ultimate light? The ultimate light is the one whom we celebrated his birth just a few weeks ago. We're told that Jesus is the ultimate light of the world that comes in to shine in the darkness of this world. But Jesus says something so profound here. He says, you also are the light. You see, the church, the people of God, are to be reflectors of the ultimate supreme light, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus gives us the incredible privilege of being like a lantern who carries the light into the darkness of this world. Now, light throughout the scripture, to really understand what Jesus is getting at here, we have to understand what does Jesus mean by light? Well, it's the same thing that light is synonymous with all throughout scripture. Light is always synonymous with truth. And so when Jesus says, be the light of the world, he says, be the truth to a world full of lies. To be the truth to a culture full of falsehoods. This is the mission of the people of God, to go into the world, to go into the culture. Light does what? It exposes the darkness. And we, as the light of the world, the light of Jesus Christ, go into the culture and expose that which is false and bring the truth of God to light. You know, this morning we're talking about abortion. And you know what amazes me? When there is a school shooting, whether it be in our own backyard like Stoneman Douglas or up north like Sandy Hook, the whole culture is amazed. Our jaws drop. But has nobody put it together 
that we have raised up a generation to place no intrinsic value and worth on the baby in a womb, and we wonder when this generation grows up that they can do and be capable of such heinous acts? When will we ever wake up and realize that if we place no value in the life of a child in the womb, this generation and the generations to follow will be capable of anything? This is the narrative of the culture. The culture says this. There is no God. You came from nothing and you will go to nothing. There is no absolute truth. There is no ultimate goodness. You will be buried. There will be no reunion, no God, no future. You will be buried in the ground one day and you will rot and decay. Now go enjoy your life. There's no hope. But we have the opportunity as lanterns of the truth of Jesus Christ to go into the world and change the narrative. No, there is a God and there is ultimate truth and humanity has been created in the image of God and from conception to the grave every single person is created in the image of God therefore having intrinsic worth and intrinsic value and God loved his creation so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ that whoever believes in him will never die but have everlasting life that's the narrative the narrative of truth that you and I have the privilege of going into our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our universities every single day to proclaim the truth in the midst of a culture that has no truth Christians get to tell a new story to bear the lantern of truth to be the light to be salt and to be light but he says a third thing. Not only does Jesus say to be salt and to be light, but he says in verse 14, the end of verse 14, what does he say? He says, be a city. Be a city on a hill. And what is so significant about this nuance by Jesus is he says, I don't want you to be a light individually. What is a city? Is a city made up of individuals? No, a city is made up of people. Of all different types and cultural backgrounds with different stories and different ages and different socioeconomic backgrounds and patterns. What he's describing here is a city. It's the church. It's the body of Christ. And what Jesus is saying here is so profound that the light will not be effective individually, just as one member of the body of Christ is, is effective by itself. But it is the members of the body of Christ coming together. And together, Jesus says, like a city on a hill, then the light will shine brightly. Then the people of God will be able to establish on earth as it is in heaven. You see, as the Roman Empire and the city of Rome was collapsing thousands of years ago, it led St. Augustine to write the book, The City of God, to remind the people of God that although the culture of man crumbles, that although the city of man crumbles, there is a new city. It is made up of the people of God, and that city whose builder is God will never crumble. So Coral Ridge, be a city. Be a city on a hill. Build the city of God in the midst of the city of man so that the light shines so brightly that it gets the attention of all those that seek. 
It fulfills the promise of Isaiah chapter 60, where Isaiah 60 says, There will be a day where the nations of the world will come to the brightness of the king, and the kings will be drawn to the brightness of a new nation. That is the calling of the people of God to build the city of God in the midst of the city of man so that our Father in heaven gets all the glory. Be salt, be light, be the city of God. So what can we do? I want to give you a few practical things to do this morning in light of this calling. The first thing what we can do is this. It's a call to repentance. You say, Pastor, I've done nothing wrong. What am I repenting from? Repenting from being indifferent. I share the statistic with you that 60 million babies have been murdered and some of you didn't blink an eye. I shared the statistic that 60 million babies have been murdered and some of you in this room are thinking about where you're going to spend the rest of your day. One of the greatest sins that we suffer from as a church and as a people of God is the sin of indifference and apathy. Will you be a church that stands by and does nothing? Not says, makes the conclusion individually whether abortion is right or wrong, but will you actually do something about it? We need to repent of the sin of indifference and apathy. Doing nothing is not an option. You want to talk about choice? You have a choice today to either establish a culture of life in this city or to establish a culture of death. The second thing is this. Teach the next generation to think and live differently. This is why we talk so much about worldview here at Coral Ridge. Oh, that we would raise up a next generation that thinks differently and acts differently in light of it. That we would raise up a next generation to understand the Imago Dei, the image of God in all people, beginning at conception. That we would raise up a next generation in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry at Westminster Academy, and all of our other venues in which we train up the next generation to think and love differently, to think and act differently, that we'd raise up a generation and so shape their minds and so shape their hearts that they would see the image of God in all people from the moment of conception. Third thing to do, be informed. I shared the statistics with you this morning, and I know some of you, this is the first time you've heard these things, first time you've heard these numbers. When we go to vote, when we go to be an advocate, do we know what we're voting for? Do we know what we're doing? Do we know what bills are at stake and are on the line? Are we informed in the, uh, as citizens here as the kingdom of God is being established here on earth as it is in heaven? Are we informed citizens? Do we have the resources and tools? Do we know where to go? Are we informing our minds and informing our families and our homes to think when we go into an election? Now you say, Pastor, this is the danger. You're going to turn us all into a, a, a one-issue one voters. I dare you to show me a movement or a people that have not rallied around one issue in the history of our world. The history of our world has revolved around one issues. And I dare you to show me one issue that has taken more lives and has been done more to promote a culture of death than the issue of abortion. It is a worthy thing to rally around. 
I will be accused all day long of being a one-issue voter. Fourth, and lastly, get involved. Volunteer. We set it up for you so easily. In 10 minutes, you can walk to that narthex, and you can empty your wallets, and you can sign up to be a volunteer. It is not enough to shake our fist at the darkness of this world. We must be a people that are involved, generously opening up our homes and our wallets and our lives, sacrificially pouring ourselves out for this cause. We're going to give you a moment, a chance in 10 minutes to sign up and get involved. You say, why bother? Can anything really change? I'll tell you one life that has been changed. His name was Bernard Nathanson. At one point in time, Bernard Nathanson was the leading practitioner of abortion in America. He boasted at one time that he was personally responsible for 60,000 deaths here in America. He led the largest abortion clinic in North America. But when the black and white truths were being revealed with the invention of the ultrasound, see what he said. I think we have the quote for you. With ultrasound, for the first time, we could see the human fetus. We could measure it, bond with it, see it, love it. I changed my mind with the truth of the scientific data. It persuaded me that we could no longer indiscriminately continue to slaughter that which is demonstrably a human being. He saw the truth and it set him free. He was raised a Jew, lived his entire adult life as an atheist, and before he died, he committed his life to Christ and he cried out to God, I need forgiveness and I can find it nowhere else. Brothers and sisters, where do we find forgiveness? We find forgiveness and hope this morning in one place and one place alone, the power of the cross. I don't know much, but the statistics tell me that one out of four women have had an abortion, which means there might be someone in this room that has gone through that in their life. And I am here and stand before you today and say, your life is not over. There is hope and forgiveness and healing at the foot of the cross. Because you see, it's at the foot of the cross that we look up and we see Jesus, the ultimate salt of the earth who came to bring life, who gave up his life, even to the point of death, so that you might be healed. At the foot of the cross, we look up and we see the ultimate light of the world covered in darkness, taking on our sin and our shame and our guilt and the darkness and the brokenness of this world so that you might experience the light of beginning again with Jesus. Jesus, who was full of blessing and favor, lost the very favor of God so that you might never be forsaken by God. In a few moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And I'd like to invite you to run to the foot of the cross. Whether you've had an abortion, whether you've contemplated abortion, whether you've lived your entire life as if there is no God, there is healing and hope and forgiveness today at one place. Today is the day. Would you surrender your life to Jesus? Not tomorrow, not the next day. 
The promise is simple. You confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. In a few minutes, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And you can find healing and forgiveness, maybe for the very first time, at the foot of the cross. Let me leave you with this. There's a lot of things you can commit your life to. A lot of worthy causes. Why this one? For me, it's simple. I dream of the day where my grandchildren come up to me and say, what were you all thinking? It sounds so barbaric. What in the world were you thinking? And I want to be able to look my grandchildren in the eye and say, you know what? We fought our guts out. We fought our guts out in such a way that the reason you think it's so barbaric today is because of the men and women that have poured themselves out to change the course of human history. Be salt. Be light. Be a city. Wave the flag for those that can't wave the flag. Defend those that can't defend themselves. Be a city. A city that says, we have a story to tell to the nations. A story of truth, but a story of love. A story of hope and a new beginning. And while we know there's a lot of things wrong in this world, we know the one who can make all things right. And may God help us. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your love. And I thank you for your grace. And first and foremost, Lord, there are those here that need you. That need to enter into a relationship with you. There's some sitting in this room that have never even thought it possible to stand before you. To call you Father. To call you their God. And the promise is so simple. For whoever believes in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be saved. And so, Lord, may they confess you this day as their only Lord and Savior, realizing that there's nothing that they can do in their life to earn your favor, but there's also nothing in their life that they've done so bad that they can't be accepted today as your son and as your daughter. May they confess you and may you enter in. May you bring the healing and forgiveness. May you remove the shame and the guilt that is crippling and allow them to come in here as someone who is bogged down with shame and guilt but leave here this morning freed as a child of God, a son and daughter of the King. And Lord, for us as a church, would you forgive us and help us would you empower us by the power of your word and through your gospel? Forgive us for our indifference. For some of us just didn't know, but for some of us we did know. Would you grant us all in this room the healing touch that comes from the power of the cross? Would you embolden us and empower us with love and gentleness and humility to love with truth and with boldness? I pray that where we've been silent, you would give us a voice. I pray that where we've had fear, you would give us courage and strength. 
And I pray that where there has been sin and darkness, it will be overcome by the lightness of the power of the cross. And might you move us from shame and regret to the goodness of your grace. Stir within us for this time and for this hour. And may we give ourselves to your glory and to this culture because you have come down and given us yourself, even by way of the cross, where we have hope and where we find forgiveness. Help us, O oh Father. It's in your most beautiful name I pray. Amen.